Hey, Adam. Yeah, Scott. Should you be asking me a question right about now? Uh... Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. What the fuck? Coming to you almost live from a pothole on Jasper Avenue, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. And we're recording this in Scott's home studio. It's pretty sexy down here with the dancing girls and the nipple tassels. I thought we were in a pothole in Jasper Avenue. Shit. <laughs> Start over. I think I think what you're implying is that I live in a pothole in Jasper Avenue. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say it. Okay. This is already starting out to be the best show ever. Yeah. And and we and our last show was actually our best show ever. But this will trump that. Um, because we have some really interesting segments, including sex talk. It's true. It's back. And a great announcement uh, from a, a group of local entrepreneurs and creative thinkers who launched what's called the Edmonton Champion Project. Sounds exciting. It is exciting, Scott. I believe we also check in with our good friends over at Guru Digital Arts College. True story. True story. They're up to no good, as they so often are. In the neighborhood? Yes. Did they get in one little fight? Yeah, and mom got scared. Anyway, but... <laughs> What's more important, what is most important at this very moment, are the two gentlemen sitting across from us in this illustrious pothole. The founders and authors of Edmonton's most popular and only urban planning blog, thecharette.ca. We've got Scott Lilwall. Hello. And we have Mike Otto. Good day. Lilwall will be referred to by his last name to avoid confusion. And because that's actually what everyone calls him. And we call Mike Otto, Motto. Because... Saying Mike Otto is, it hurts the brain. Anyway, guys, who the fuck starts an urban planning blog? People with nothing better to do, oh. I would guess, would, would be the best answer. <laughs> Miscreants. Was, was this something that you guys had talked about for a long time? Or? Nope. No, it, it was, uh, I think, between talking about it for the first time and launching it, we're looking at about two weeks Really? No, we procrastinate more than that. <laughs> no, that's well, not accurate. It, se it seemed like, because it was, it was no longer than November, that's for sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't know, when we go to those, we went to the Planning Academy <clears throat> courses, mm -hmm. which everyone should go to because they're great. And then Those we, are offered by the city, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah, city offers them, they're like 30 bucks each. What kind of things do you learn at them? Uh, just kind of things... You know, the, the intricacies of, of zoning and how public meetings work and just all the, the stuff about urban planning in Edmonton that's uh, a little more in-depth than you'd get from just a news article. Just how, how the process works, really. Yeah, zoning process is kind of its emphasis. It sounds boring. It's not. <laughs> well, we like planning and we're planning nerds, so it wasn't boring to us. Uh, you, you know, they, they do a pretty good job of making it exciting and, and talking in non-planning speak. Right. And there's uh, assignments you and, do. And you use those uh, s markers that smell like things to draw things. Yeah, they so. don't taste like things. They smell like things, though. <laughs> it uh, sounds a lot like school. 
But it like is. kindergarten though, because you are using smelly markers and you're using your hands to move around tiles that represent buildings so you can optimize your businesses on a site, etc. And you have to pay for it and it's on weekends. But other than that, exactly. So just like school. Yeah. Basically. So so sorry, you have a table with objects that you get to move around? Like what what are some of the assignments they give you? What what kind of homework did you have to do for this? Uh, well there was one where I think this is one you were talking about where they they gave us a plot of land and you had to try and maximize the buildings that you would put on that plot of land to to gain money. So wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Edmonton. We do not maximize buildings on plots of land. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, you you do when you want to make the most money possible. And then and then in Edmonton we go and we, we move on to another plot of land. <laughs> no, okay, but But wait. this is like a, from the developer's point of view. Right? Oh, okay. But also, you're mandated to have so many parking spots, correct? Mm -hmm. So you're maximizing the land by but you have to have that many parking spots. That's what's happening there. Yeah, and yeah, it does have so many bikes bicycle Bike parking. parking. Really? That's actually a that's actually a requirement. It's in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's yep. not, not much. Uh, for residential, I don't know. It's something like 0. 0.5 for every. I don't know the I don't numbers off the top of my head. So right. what you're saying is that sound city planning is often, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Defeated by legislation. No. Well, yes and no. I, that's not what this this was. This was actually from the developer point of view. It just kind of was showing you that. The people who design large centers or apartment complexes and stuff, there are rules that they have to follow that people might not think right away, like the number of parking lots you have to have for how many people you have living there, that kind of thing. Well, and part of the problem, too, is, like, would you actually want to live next to a business that has no parking and so they're parking in front of your house all the time, right? Probably not. Yeah, so it's part of trying to ensure your different land uses that are adjacent aren't conflicting. Yeah. Right. So you go to a few of these planning courses, and then the two of you get the brainwave to start a blog about urban planning. Is is that more or less the process that you went through? That was actually pretty much exactly how it that happened. That was exactly it, and we were like, oh, what are we going to call it? We can't think of a name. And then Scott was looking through the, or I should clarify, Lil Wall was looking <laughs> through the glossary, and the word charrette was there. And what is a charrette? Uh, well, generally, it, it uh, is really just when a group of designers come together to solve a, a problem or, or brainstorm an idea. Uh, it applies to any kind of design, but really urban planning is the, the one that it seems. So it's basically a meeting of planners, or in the case of our blog, people who enjoy planning. Yes. And, uh, and you launched before Christmas. December yes. 1st, Yeah, I guess. December 1st we did. And uh, successful? I mean, everyone in my mind uh, online talks about you guys. Not everyone. I, I don't know that uh, Stephen Fry has mentioned you yet. That's our goal, actually. But certainly, um, you know, prominent Edmontonians, journalists, uh, you know, I noticed that Paula Simons at Karen Unland appear to be reading the charrette. A lot of people love it. They pass it along. Uh, did you expect it to be this popular? I'll be honest. I expected us to work on it for about three weeks and then get bored of it. Oh, I don't know if that's fair. No, I did. did I, I did. I, I, felt, I, can't, I don't keep with that. I felt better about it. I wanted to go at least past Christmas. <laughs> this sounds very familiar to uh, mm -hmm. our own experience, actually. <laughs> Scott did not, I, Bourgeois did not expect that uh, the Unknown Studio would last past, I think he once said five episodes. Eight, actually. I oh. specifically said eight. We are now uh, approaching our 50th episode, actually. Yeah, this, this is episode 46, if I'm not mistaken. I believe you are correct. So uh, you guys are with us on our path to 
Glory? Yeah. I was going to say greatness, but that might... That glory might. sounds better. It sounds like we've been slaying dragons or trolls. We have been. So. Well, well, I guess yes. that's episode 47. But we don't really talk about that. Right? Actually, speaking of trolls, I understand that when you launched the website, almost immediately, you had someone, uh, shall we say, pick on you. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. A fella, a fella from Twitter. I'm going to let you, you... You were the one who really... Remember? Dealt with him the most. I have no idea. Andre, what, Andre. The, the guy oh, who said no, we don't need to do that. Yes, we do. <laughs> we don't have to name him. We'll, we'll edit that out. Fine but I want to know, I want to know what, what transpired there. Well, I guess the thing is just that, I mean, we're not urban planners, right? We're just guys who are interested, okay? Like, Little Wall happens to be a journalist, and I happen to be an engineer. And so this, this you know, there's always conflicts, I guess, between engineers and uh Builders and contractors and welders and whatever else, right? Uh, and now I found out, I guess, there's a conflict between engineers and planners <laughs> because this one planner who works at the city just didn't appreciate the fact I was an engineer, I guess. I bet I bet very few people do. Yeah, sure, I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know what that was about. But you were bothered by it, weren't you, Motto? You... I, I just, it just irritates me because I... Attacking me because I'm an engineer is just kind of... I guess there's a stigma among that, you know, engineers are boring and they're math nerds and they only care about one thing or whatever. But I I guess I have other interests and there's no reason I can't be interested in planning. There's no reason this makes me unqualified, I would say. That's uh that's basically how I describe my interest in Star Trek. I'm a I'm a psychology major who works in advertising. Uh, but I'm an expert and an interested in Star Trek. Not unlike yourselves. I would say that you are, however, deeply qualified to be an expert. You have extensive practical experience. I do, I do. <laughs> I in, in the trekking of the stars. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's what it's about. So when, when you, you launched the website, you got a little bit of, shall we say, notoriety, but mostly people, it, it seems like they're really excited. The response has been really, really positive, actually, uh, to a surprising degree. Um, I think part of it is just because, well, as Motto said, we, we aren't urban planners and we never pretend to be. And I'm sure some of the things we, we, the questions we ask, if you're an urban planner, the answers are obvious. But I think there's, there's a, um, sort of a, a value of, of that. We're asking questions that just normal citizens have. And if we don't know, there's a good chance that there are other people at Edmonton who don't know as well. So we can get that out there. And we've got commenters, we've got great commenters on the site who are not afraid to come out and say, it's like, no, you guys are wrong about that. And this is the reason why. Or really good contributions too. Like so sometimes people from the city will will have a comment that really adds something to it. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got a few that are regular that uh, yeah. uh, say things that, you know, I would not have thought would no, be an issue. No, it's totally appreciated too. Yeah. Now, um, is the charrette... Which, by the way, you can find at the charrette.ca. That's two R's and two T's in charrette. Um, is it, are you surprised by how much work it is? Or is it, is it fairly easy to bang out a week's worth of, uh, of posts? I think the frequency that we post shows that it's not. <laughs> it's not difficult or? Not it's, easy. it's not easy. It's yeah, not I, easy. I know, I agree. Because I, we always intend, I think, to write... We get all these ideas, we want to write all these things, and it's like, oh, day job, et cetera. I feel like we're, we're really sitting across from mirror images of ourselves. Younger, naive, mirror images of ourselves. Sexier. 
I'm sorry to say. We, it's true. Well, we really I, let ourselves go. It is, important, it is important to note that, that Motto and Bourgeois are wearing the same sweater yeah, right now. Paw. We apparently, uh, Lil Wall and I did not get the, the memo. Uh, they're really rooting for Canada today. But the I, Conservative Party, I can't tell. Oh, no, that's... Um, no, that's no, a different These sweater. are Olympics. I thought you... Uh, yeah, 2010, yes. so these are Olympic. Vancouver 2010, lest we forget. <laughs> <laughs> no. So tell us about some of the... Uh, some of the topics that you've tackled, because it hasn't just been about, you know, parking minimums and and the downtown arena, though that, that has loomed large and will continue to do so until probably beyond April 6th. Oh, yes. Which is when the next council meeting discussing this is going to take place. But So what are some of the other things that you're tackling that maybe people wouldn't think of uh, when they think of the word, the phrase urban planning? Uh, I guess things like, well, I had uh, a post that I did on, on light pollution in Edmonton, which is one of those things that, I mean, we, we all see and bothers a lot of us, but it, it never quite clicks as in, like, that's something that you can fix. Uh, so that, that was one, one of the, the non-arena, non-LRT projects that we've done. A lot of the time it's focused on those two, because those are two big ones. Have you also focused a lot on the airport? Oh, yes. Um, that was a big one. Yeah, Motto did this fantastic series. On yeah, the, the five five proposals. and uh, You basically analyzed all of them, didn't you? Basically, yeah. I just kind of took a look at them and um, just kind of tried to show people what each was about. Now, what do you guys think about the, the redevelopment of the city center airport? Because there, there are some people who think this will not <laughs> take off. There's, there are just some, sorry, there is, but there are some individuals who just, they don't think that Edmonton, the city of Edmonton can be a developer, that the city of Edmonton's not good at that kind of thing, and they often trot out Mill Woods as an example of the city not being a good developer, even though uh, I've heard that at the time it was a forward-thinking neighborhood, and they made a pissload of money off of it. Um, so so are, we, uh, are we risking, are we mortgaging our future? to redevelop the city center airport lands? Or is this is this something Edmonton needs to do in, in your humble opinions? I don't know if it's either. Like, I, I'm i in the camp that believes it, it should be re redeveloped, but I don't know if it's vital. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very much one of those projects that I see that I'm like, this could be something fantastic, but it's also, it's it could easily slip into just a... A failure, really. It's it's a project that I, I think uh, the both council, the planners, and citizens as a whole need to be on for the next thirty years and always pushing to make sure that it turns into something worthwhile. And Motto, if you did all the analysis uh, on the different proposals, did you have a preferred one that you really liked that you can, re if you can remember? Um, okay, there were two that stood out to me. I can't remember the names of them right now. Yes, I can. Uh, one of them, I think, was the Perkins and Will, I believe, was out of Vancouver. I think that's it. And uh, it's well, yeah. What was the big? What were some of the main features? Of it that was the one that it had the, it had the kind of a row of buildings parallel to the runways, and it had like a wedge-shaped park in the middle. And they kind of wanted to landscape a hill overlooking downtown and that sort of thing. Um, that one stood out, I think, as my favorite design. Uh, and then the. The final one by, I can't remember the name right now, it was the Swedish company. They did the Hammerby development. Do you remember the name of them? 
that wasn't the no BM. It was a four-letter acronym, and I can't remember which one because there were two four-letter acronyms. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't BM. BNIM. Yeah. Maybe I don't remember, but anyways, they uh, stood out just because I think that the strength of their bid was in terms of their expertise in engineering a, a development uh, with, with the you know the city wants to take a sustainable approach and I felt they maybe had the best expertise for that angle of it so I almost feel like if you took the design of Perkins and Will and combined it with that expertise you'd probably get a really good result and really these designs they're not you know the city picks one one uh, developer one designer one company or one consortium of companies it's those aren't the final designs no those no. are just those are examples from a contest. No, and I've and I've learned actually yeah, it's like it's a tryout actually. Is it's like an audition almost. They're trying to see where the companies are their heads are at and who they want to work with in the future. So and plus there's still a lot of um, fee feedback from the public to be had. So I mean th these designs by no means are a no means are a done deal at all. And now, Sex Talk, brought to you by the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Hey, I'm Lauren from the Traveling Tickle Trunk. If you're like us, the Easter Bunny has always confused the heck out of you. Why in the world would a rabbit, a mammal that doesn't even lay eggs, run around hiding eggs for children to find? And why do kids even want these eggs? As with most things in our society, this crazy tradition started out as a sexual rite that over the years became watered down into something G-rated. Rabbits and eggs are symbols of fertility. Originally, festivals used these symbols to celebrate the new life of spring. Isn't it ironic then that the most used shapes for sex toys are rabbits and eggs? This year, we would like to propose a new tradition, but instead of searching your backyard for rabbits and eggs, we encourage you to head out to the sex shop. Here are the best and worst rabbits and eggs we found on our spring treasure hunt. The worst egg, the Tanga Egg Disposable Masturbator. It seems like a cute idea, but this disposable rubber sleeve is so thin, it's hard to get any enjoyment out of it. And at $16 to $19 a piece, it's a pretty expensive one-shot deal. Here's what one of our staff had to say about the Tanga egg. So my partner and I decided to try the Tanga egg out. And we took it home, and I unwrapped it, and it was a cute little egg, like the ones you get with chocolate in for Easter. I'm like, sweet. Opened it up. It was a cute little white egg. had lots of real ribbing inside. I'm like, great, this is going to be awesome. Opened the lube, put it in, and it was slimy and not in a good way. So we start going, and I start giving him a hand job, and I'm going, and about five minutes into it, he's getting really, really excited, really turned on, and the top rips. And he comes out of it, and there goes our mood. So, review, not very good. It doesn't work. The best egg. The Calypso from California Exotics. Although they've not been our friends in the past, this new toy is outstanding in quality. One might argue that it looks more like sperm than egg, but hey, it still fits the theme. The worst rabbit. The Rabbit Pearl by Pipe Dreams. Although this rabbit bears the same name as the original, this rabbit is nothing like the real deal. One of the many cheap copies, this rabbit is made of nasty jelly rubber, and it smells like the shoe department at Zeller's. Our tester demo was broken only two days after we bought it. The best rabbit. The hands-down winner of the rabbit race is the original rabbit habit by Vibratex. They were the first ones to make it, and no one's done it better since. 
Find these toys on our sex talk page at www.travelingticklechunk.com slash sextalk, along with a special offer just for you. Are you looking for current, relevant, highly specialized digital media instruction? You need to seek out The Guru. Guru Digital Arts College offers intense six-month programs that simulate real-world projects. You'll work in small classes in a casual professional environment and meet industry pros who offer a mentor-style approach to learning. Some institutions make the same claim, but with Guru, you'll develop the confidence to get out and become a part of the digital media community. Come visit us anytime. Check out a class, talk with our instructors, and be part of the Guru experience. For more information, email info at gurudigitalarts.com or call 1-877-429-4878. should take a moment we should uh interrupt this wonderful uh dialogue that we are engaged in and uh talk about some other people who are very near and dear to our hearts indeed we should scott bourgeois scott c bourgeois (laughs) in fact the first uh the first uh sponsor that we should thank that's near and dear to our heart is the The edmonton Edmonton Journal. journal that's right those ink stained wretches saw fit to sponsor us when no one else would and no one else could because we were like two shows in. Yep. And they were just like, you guys are good. They saw the potential in us. They did. And they still see the potential in us because we really <laughs> haven't lived We haven't got anywhere either. else. No, it's true. We also have to thank uh, the the Hogwarts of digital art here in Edmonton. That's Guru Digital Arts College. Indeed. W- who we will have uh, a segment from in this episode. That's true. Yes. Uh, they had their, their Guru... They call it Gala Guru, their third gala, celebrating all the successes their students and faculty have had. And and in fact, the Unknown Studio got a very nice shout out at that event. We did. It was great. So thank you to them for supporting us. And finally, uh, you heard from Lauren in this episode. And uh, we have to thank the folks at the Traveling Tickle Trunk. Edmonton's sex positive adult store. Oh, yeah. If you need toys or lube videos, handcuffs. And that's just a Monday evening, really, for bourgeois. <laughs> then you should go to the Traveling Tickle Trunk on White Avenue. Hey, guys, I just got the test results back. I'm sex positive. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to do a show. Okay, fine. What are your thoughts on the proposed downtown arena? Oh, audible groan. <laughs> uh, Mono, uh, you don't have to say audible groan. I know. I'm well aware. <laughs> You're these microphone devices that pick up sound. <laughs> Actually, I believe that's the whole point of this exercise. Okay, very good. Uh, you may begin. Give me a second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Motto needs to uh, recover his composure. I guess it's it's a really sticky. Uh, we're, from my understanding, I don't like correct me if I'm wrong here, Motto. I don't want to say what your opinion is, but we both seem to be kind of on the mind that we're not. We're on the fence, I guess. Uh, it's an idea that has worked in other cities. It's an idea that has not worked in other cities. My primary, I'm, I enjoy hockey, but that's not my primary uh, concern here. My primary concern is is building a better downtown. So that that is really what, the, it, for me, is if it's a good idea, is if it can revitalize the, the, the area. And like I said, some cities, uh, Memphis, people keep bringing up Columbus, that kind of thing, it's worked. It's failed in a lot of other ones. 
Like where? Do you, can you remember off the top of your head where it hasn't worked? Uh, not just arenas, but stadiums as well. I believe I don't. I don't know. San Diego, I, I keep hearing about, but I haven't done in-depth research into mm -hmm. what their situation is. Uh, and I mean, there, there's there's other cities that uh, are not coming to mind right now. This is this is a poor answer to the question. Mm. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but I'm not quite sure if the way it's being done now is the way we want it to. As as we mentioned before, there are still a lot of questions that I think demand answers that aren't being answered yet. Such as? Okay, I'm ready. You're ready. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, big one for me is, and I just wrote a post, post about this, if we do make a new arena oh, downtown, yeah. what are we going to do with the current one? I mean, that is a big building. It's a lot of infrastructure. It's not falling down. No, Northlands isn't just going to give up. No. I mean, they still want to make a business, and they're going to have two competing arenas. And they've had an impact on 118th, which has been having a slow, not but if, steady... Not if you ask Mayor Mandel. Well, no. <laughs> uh, he, he, was, he, in fairness for him, he said that hockey didn't revitalize the area, which it didn't. But having Rexall there has definitely made an impact, and I don't think anybody is disputing that. Sure. Uh, but once you pull it up, and there's businesses around there, once, what are you going to do with that to make sure that that area doesn't decay? Because... You know, we want to revitalize downtown, but we don't, we don't want to do it in the expense of other yeah. areas of the city. Good point. Now, Mato, you, you were prepared yeah, to speak to this. I feel the arena is two very separate issues. There's the issue of, would it be good for downtown? And I think my answer for that is probably yeah. I feel if it's, des there's so much interest in it that uh, so long as it's designed right, and I think there'll be the correct oversight for that, that it integrates with the community, et cetera, I think it can be a good thing for downtown. Um, and then the second issue is the finance of it, which is just such a clusterfuck at this point. Okay. I mean, they, they need $450 million for this thing. They have $100, $100 million of it is nobody knows. I've asked. Nobody knows where this money is going to come from. And so I don't see how you can be seriously considering a project when you're that, you're short 20% of the money you need. Mm -hmm. Right? See, and I, and I am... Um... I think that there's there's ideas within sure. that of where that money's going, but they haven't said anything publicly. No, and I mean, and then there's there's the debate between how much money's public, how much is private, and there's so much um, the way it's being separated out, like like the the community revitalization levy um, is is a way of kind of they're going to take the tax from the surrounding area and incorporate it, but part of the problem is they're saying it's not private money, uh, or they're saying it's not public money. But it sort of probably is because, I mean, the area is sufficiently large that it probably incorporates some development that would happen anyways, right? Like, mm -hmm. like property values downtown are going to increase either way. And then the question of it is how much is due to the arena and how much is just due to other things downtown. So some fraction of that money from the CRL, that $125 million, I'm sure you could say is public money. And uh, I guess one thing I wanted to mention is you had brought it up. You said uh, integrating in with the community. In, in the cities that... that downtown stadiums and arenas have been a success. Once again, I'll bring up Memphis. It's because part of the success is because those building and designing those have worked very closely with the surrounding communities. And that's not something I'm really seeing here. Like there, there there's negotiations between the city and the, um, the Cates group, but not a lot of negotiation I'm finding from like the downtown community league that we no, know they, that we know of. They uh, they submitted a letter I think. Well, a way letter. back way, during the zoning. No, but I'm talking about like like a very close working relationship. Well, part of the problem is it's not even you see these pictures. The Cates group has has um, submitted these pictures of what an arena could like may, look like maybe, but 
they're just there's no actual plan at this point. It's yeah. just an idea. So it's kind of hard for people to get uh, involved in the planning when you have no idea what this thing is going to look like. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, there needs to be at least a voice from the beginning on, on what the community wants yeah. out of this as well. And I'm, and I'm honestly not saying, and my other people will disagree, I'm just not seeing enough of it from my point of view. Do you feel that, um, like obviously this, this process has been uh, a bit of a, well, as you put it, kind of a clusterfuck. Do you think that the problems are coming more from the Cates group or more from the city? I Like who's dropping the ball? I'd, in your opinion. Everyone. <laughs> can I say everyone? You can say everyone. Um, I, I feel like the, the uh, I don't know, I've sat in on that one council meeting, and the working relationship between council and administration on this issue seems kind of fragmented. Because um, it basically consists of councillors feeling uh, like they're being cornered and grilling administration for information that they don't have. And it's not really administration's fault they don't have this information because where are they going to get it from? Nobody really knows. There, there's so many questions at this point. And I mean, Mandel wants an answer soon, but it's, I don't see how you can get one. And, and I'm, I was going to say, let's be fair. Like this is, this is a massive project. And I don't think there's ever been a massive civic project in the history of North American cities that wasn't kind of a cluster. Yeah, like, fair it, enough. <laughs> you're just, you've got so many interests, you've got so many things to worry about that it's never going to go 100% smoothly. I don't know if this is a question you guys can answer because it's not really a city planning question. But do you, are you at all concerned that they might actually move the Oilers if they don't build this arena? I'm not really an expert on that. I, I, Fair my enough. gut just says opinion. no. I don't really care about sports that much. I'm not a big sports Typical fan. engineer. <laughs> I, I, think yeah, it, right. I think that the, the Oilers leaving the city, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm, you know, I'm not excited about handing over a bunch of dough to the Cates group without a little bit more detail, but, but um, I think losing the Oilers would have a profound effect on the psyche of the city. I kind of oh, agree. No, a I think a negative one, and, and I think that it could set Edmonton back, honestly. I yeah, agree. I mean, it's one of those intangible things that... that uh, yeah. Even I mean, though a sense of pride, sorry, I well, should I should qualify that. Even though they're the last place hockey team, well, they're still the selling. There are last place hockey exactly team, right. though. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's something that I've heard someone specifically say. It's like, where would you move this team, as it is today, Quebec, where it is the last build? Yeah, but but would Quebec have sold out games for the last place? Oh, yeah. They're building so. an arena. They're so. gonna have to somehow. But the thing is, I mean, I I would think if you're a a hockey owner of, an, of a team that's struggling, let's say struggling in a different way the Oilers are. The Oilers are struggling with the on-ice product, but they're mm. still very popular. But if you're one who's having trouble bringing in the seats, like Edmonton is a big hockey town, and it will be. So I think it would make a tempting uh, target for, for another team to move in if there was. But once again, I'm just, I'm a guy who watches uh, games occasionally. Yeah, so. I, I don't see how, as I understand it, they're pretty profitable here. So I don't know why you'd move them, honestly. Though the Cates group is being quite um, mum about the revenue the team earns and whether or not it's profitable, even though most people can pr probably safely assume Pretty that much they everybody are. thinks they are. But the question then becomes, are they being evasive on that because they don't want the city to know how profitable they are uh, so that they can use that as a bargaining chip? Because they've also been making, you know, they've been going to Quebec and talking about what kind of hockey market it is. Yeah, they Hamilton. had Gary Bettman come on and say, you know, we're not saying that the Oilers should move, but we're saying they need a new arena. Yeah, and, 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 and you yeah. know, it's it seems like it's almost a little bit of like a psychological game that they're playing to try to win over the city by threatening 
in a very friendly manner. It, I don't know if it's friendly. If, if that it's is menacing. Well, it's but <laughs> it's menacing, but it's not. But it, they're not just blatantly saying, you know what, Edmonton, you give us a new arena, or we are Splitsville. We're no, out and here. now you're. They're just these, saying, like, you know what, we're not saying we're going to move, but we're saying that we can't stay. <laughs> and that's which, if if that mm. is what they're doing, and I'm not going to play. But I'm it not, seems I'm not, I'm not like that's guess, what they're doing. But I mean, that, like anytime you have discussions on public funding of any kind of sports arena, that's always happens, and a lot of times in history, it's a lot more. Uh, explicit than that. You've, you've got owners of uh, teams in Florida and, and such, uh, especially baseball teams, basically saying, like, if we don't get one, we'll move. So it's it's always a bargaining chip that's thrown out well, there. And, and, it, and that was the case back in the day. It wasn't about the arena, but it was about, um, you know, supporting the Oilers in Edmonton. They were going to leave. I don't think the Cates group... I, it seems to me it would be kind of a douchebag move to actually say, we have to move these guys, because they don't... I don't think they actually know. Like, I, and, and, you know, I mean, the, the, the sort of Southern U.S. teams are still, like, they're not, they don't earn money. You know, like, Phoenix is a money pit. Yeah. yeah. Even though, actually, Phoenix's on-ice product is far superior to the Oilers, and I went to I went to a game there uh, last year that was excellent. It was a great hockey game. Uh, the Oilers got spanked at it. But, um, you know, it's just not gaining traction in the U.S. So, yeah, I could see it going to Quebec City. I could see it possibly going to Winnipeg again, but... I don't. I'm not convinced that even Quebec City could could sell out games the way that the Oilers do in Edmonton. I just don't think it's possible. We are like a beaten puppy, you know. Our team loses and loses and loses, and we sell out every fucking game. It would be lunacy to move that team. I honestly, given that they haven't, I can't remember. The, I don't play hockey, yeah. but I know they've sucked since 2006, right? 2007. Was it? When was the? Was 2006 was the season they. 2006-2007 was the season they got to the Stanley Cup final. Okay, sorry, <laughs> fine. Let's 2007. Also kind of a fluke. Which is well, also known yeah, as totally. the one year I cared about hockey. <laughs> yeah, right. everyone in the city, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. But, uh, no, there's a lot of uh, mind games going on. Like like I was, you know, you see these photos in the sun, like they're in TMZ, of Kate's <laughs> talking to some guy. And it's just like his gardener. Yeah, no, but it is. Kate's talks to gardener about new arena projects. Part of the, I mean, the Kate's group isn't going to come out and open their books, probably, because, I mean, it's already bad enough, the angle of, he's a billionaire, what is this, you know? Like, you, you saw, uh, if you guys haven't seen Cornier's video, yes. parodying, yeah. pretty good. You guys should go. Yeah, on, on DaveBerta.ca, Dave Cornier did a video, basically... Saying your money going to a billionaire. A, a rebuttal, shall we say. Yeah, well, their video was, by the Kate's group. group video was terrible. It was... A little ridiculous. Anyway, so you'd have that even worse. If they came out and opened their books and revealed that they were pop, uh, profitable, you'd have everybody up in arms about it. Yeah, there's no question this is part of a, a strategic negotiation process. Well, I mean, let, let's be fair. This is, at least from his end, this is a business negotiation. Yeah, like yeah. His his goal is to get what he wants without paying anything. With, with, with <laughs> paying the least he has to. And yeah. I don't Can't think... Can't fault him for that, I don't no, think. No, I, I don't think he can. Um, I mean, that's just how business works. The city has... has different goals and, and stuff like that. So their goals and tactics will be different. But, I mean, you know, he's he's a businessman. He owns a business. We shouldn't expect him to have money raining Oh, yeah, the that's right. That's not how this works. That's right. And I, I just feel at this point it's... I feel... I have really mixed feelings, I think, on the financial issue just because I feel like... Uh, let's take everyone at face value and say that they would move the team and so the city needs to cough up this money. Um... I guess it just becomes an issue of, is it important enough to the citizens of the city to have a team for us to pay that money? And I guess as a benefit, we could have this uh, 
revitalization of downtown, I guess. But, I mean, once again, from my angle, that's the most important thing. And uh, you have to ask the question, all, however much money the city st pledges to put into this, are there better things we can do with yeah, the money? It's not what's just, the opportunity cost? Well, yeah, the it's, city, not, it's not if this is going to be a good yeah. idea. Is this going to be the best idea? Yeah, because there's lots of small projects going on. Like Michael Fair's doing the uh, thing with Made in Edmonton. Yeah, the Alleyway the of Light. Alley, Alley of Light thing, which looks great. And I'm sure it will not cost... $200 million or whatever for the city to do. That would be a really nice alley. It would alley be an amazing <laughs> alley. <laughs> the nicest alley on the planet. It would be the Vegas Strip now, in this little alley. Before we get too <laughs> oh, far God. down the road. <laughs> but classier. <laughs> Way classier. Ooh, before we get too, too far down the Michael Fair Road. Um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is, is downtown Edmonton not currently undergoing a revitalization? A gra call it, a, I guess, a grassroots thing where small businesses are... Like, 104th Street, just north of Jasper Avenue, is is the poster boy for downtown revitalization. I, I wonder if this, you know, let's revitalize downtown. That's what the Cates Group has called their website. Is, is Edmonton... Does it need an arena to be revitalized? The need? No. No, but it could help. Yeah, okay. There's other things going on, like the city's doing Capitol Boulevard, which is... 108th Street, from the ledge to Grant McEwen. They're going to redo that. Which, by the way, I was I was just going to say, I was walking down that the other day and just looking up, you know, one of those rare days that the sun was out and there wasn't ice fog everywhere. Uh, <laughs> looking up and just seeing the legislature sticking out from the yeah. end of the street. It's a pretty remarkable view. It, once they get that, uh, uh, if yeah. they do it right, it's going to be fantastic. You know, I actually, I hadn't noticed that view until a few weeks ago, and I'm not sure if it was because... I just, you know, usually when I'm driving down 108th Street going south, I just, I'm more focused on what's closer in front of me than off in the distance. But it is an actually really remarkable view. And, I, and I think the McEwen campus downtown, I, I really like that it's building. It's a great I building. It's awesome. I love it. And I've, I've got to say, since we started writing about this blog, I've noticed so yeah. much more. Yeah. Really? Just sure. even little things. Yeah. So what are some of the little gems that you have noticed? Can you think of any offhand? Other than the view down 108th Street mm. and this lightsaber alley you referred to that, <laughs> that Michael Fair and that's a not far off group of Jedi's are building. No, part of their plan is they have a <laughs> no. They want to have a big like blade of light. They call it seriously. I'm not even joking. Well, they can't say lightsaber because George Lucas will tear a fucking strip off them. Uh, also, a you light know, cutlass. <laughs> <laughs> a epée lumière. <laughs> also, you, you know, like when, when you're trying to make. Alley's safe and inviting the idea of, of cutting somebody in an alley. You don't want to <laughs> promote that. <laughs> That's not the idea. Let's going take for. a walk down Stabby Way. <laughs> <laughs> Just wrap the hobos in Christmas lights. And oh, no. so. <laughs> mm. uh, it's a glowing panhandler. <laughs> oh, we are oh, bad on. people. I didn't oh, say God. anything. Bourge you are bad Bourgeois people. wrote that down right now and I read it. That is possibly true. <laughs> uh, little gems? Little gems. I guess just, um, you know, Edmonton's a, a city that uh, gets decried a lot for not having a lot of history, and I, that's true. I mean, there have been some poor decisions in the past. Uh, I'm thinking, I believe it was Horlack who kind of went through a, you know, we need to make downtown new and rip down some beautiful old buildings. Oh. But there are a f there are some some nice stately s gems that still like they seem a little tucked away into different areas of the corner. Okay, the, the city. 
I tend to notice like neighborhoods. Yeah. I tend to notice the structure of neighborhoods now, and is this as a result of taking the planning academy stuff yeah, and writing yeah. for the blog? And, and and about the different neighborhoods and when they were built and why they're the way they are. Mm -hmm. You know, like I live in Park Allen, which is just south of the university, and it's it's a it's got the arterial arterials around it, and then it's got a little town square in the middle. Yeah. Right where there's a few commercial shops and there's a Chinese food place. It's delightful. So I, I just notice the structure of things like that now. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, Edmonton is kind of got unlucky in the past, I guess. Just from when we had our big boom during the oil in, in the, the 60s, and, and so it wasn't a great time for, for at least the urban design that, that is in, in vogue now. And, yeah. and that's the thing you have to remember is, is we're talking about things that we think would be a good idea. And as you said, like Mill Woods, Mill Woods was forward thinking when it was made mm -hmm. because the, these ideas and what people want changed. Like back that time, it was all about the, the independence of the personal vehicle. But yeah. I mean, but Mill Woods isn't a lost cause by any, like, I don't think it's, it's going to be fixed when they get the LRT to it. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be fixed. It will be like, fixed. I'm not, I'm it'll not be better. Okay? It will be better. It will be better. In terms of what it is. Okay. Mill Woods is still 10 times better than that stuff going on way down in the southwest or anything like yeah, that. Like it's anything definitely. that's south of the Henday, basically. If, it, if you're outside of the Henday, don't expect anything I say. Now, they're actually... They're <laughs> By actually, me, I mean Iveson. They're actually talking <laughs> about a third ring road. Uh, second? Yeah. Well, well I mean, okay, I, I suppose White Mud's not, but another freeway, that, and, you know... Uh, I... One of... We, we could call Edmonton Saturn at this at this point. Yeah. <laughs> could uh, we maybe fix the Yellowhead first? That would be nice. Oh, I don't want to talk. I'm going to have to commute on that soon. Oh. Uh, shout out to Alberta Ave. I'll be living there in May now. Right on. But, nice. um... Okay, the city city in their plans has kind of said they don't want to grow their road network too much. They want to rely on transit, which is a good thing. So I don't, I don't think they need it. Well, they're talking about for 40 years off, though, I think. Oh, okay, right? okay. It's kind of like the Henday was planned 40 years ago or yeah. whatever. And and also, I believe, and I... Uh, on this on this plan, uh, it also includes like a road, a new kind of freeway, the airport way, uh, to to supplement. At least maybe I'm talking about something else. They're talking about another large highway to supplement the um, traffic that goes to the international. Yeah, kind well, of thing? just everything on Calgary yeah. Trail and stuff. And I mean, one thing you need to remember, and we are very strong supporters of of good public transit and and walkable neighborhoods and stuff like that. But I mean, the the way our world is now, you're going to need places of vehicles go, even if it's just, like, even if everybody dropped and took public transit today, goods still need to get around. So, those roads and planning for that thing is good. It's definitely good. It's just, we need to make sure that we're not doing everything for vehicles to the detriment of other ways of getting around the city. Right, now I'm just going to throw this out there. I think that this new ring road should be called the Rosenhart Expressway. Think about it. 40 years from now, I'll be, I'll be 70. You know, a luminary of the of the city, likely mm. on my deathbed, because of the sex, the drugs, and the rock and roll. Edmonton's <laughs> top eighty under eighty. <laughs> <laughs> my interview will just be me going, <laughs> what? <laughs> See, now I always imagined you just going less being famous and more infamous, like, like a bank robber kind of thing, or yeah, maybe. Or like or that. the aforementioned belighted hobo in the alleyway. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Bows so, before hose, my friends. Doing your part to make alleys a little more walkable. <laughs> <laughs> a little more terrifying. <laughs> alleys yep. terrifying right now. Yeah, I know. It's Some of the alleys in Edmonton, you have to work hard. It's the beard and the stabbing.
last week, some of the minds behind Art Scene Edmonton and Startup Edmonton announced the launch of the Edmonton Champions Project. For those of you caught unawares, Art Scene Edmonton is an organization working to bring together leaders in business and the arts. They have, according to their website, three objectives. One is to engage and grow the next generation of business leaders for the arts and creative industries in Edmonton. Two is to work with arts and creative organizations to create new context for their platforms, their content, and to provide more meaningful experiences for young professionals in Edmonton. And three, Art Scene hopes to unite and activate our generation towards a common goal that transforms Edmonton into a hotbed for creativity and the entrepreneurial spirit. Now, Startup Edmonton grew out of the efforts of Cam Linky, Mac Mail, and a few others here in the city that wanted to create a more focused organization that would help shine the spotlight on the tech community in Edmonton. The Edmonton Champions Project is the practical next step toward helping to grow the creative class in the city. The major first step for Ed Champs is something called Flight Path which spokesperson Ken Bautista introduced to a group of about 150 people on March 31st at the Tucker Amphitheater in the Citadel. So when we think about this, this ecosystem that we have right now in the city, there are a lot of things happening in the city, which is awesome. But I think one of the challenges is, is that it's fragmented. I think one of the things is, is that it's very hard as sort of if you want to get and do something, you got to figure out kind of where to go. And when you think about the ecosystem, it requires all different things leadership, culture, mentorship. You need success stories, you need early customers, you need venture capital, you need seed capital, you need all these different things. And so what we want to do today, and we're, we're going to launch kind of the first strike in terms of taking this ecosystem to the next level and focus on these four areas. Networks, again, accelerators, seed funds, and spaces. So today we're announcing the launch of something called Flight Path, which is going to be Edmonton's first startup accelerator. And we're going to focus it around software and digital media sort of the first stage. And the thing about Flight Path and this accelerator is it's gonna be by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Mm. So we're gonna use the four strategies to create the networks. We're gonna establish a uh, creative tech hub downtown. We're actually working to close the space right now. Um, and we wanna do this in the core. We'll have this accelerator program where basically the objective will be to invest in 30 startups over the next three years. And each company will come into the space and into the program for six to 12 months. And finally is the establishment of a private sector seed fund, about half a million dollars to invest in these 30 startups over the next three years. And this will be led and concentrated by an experienced tech team um, uh, from, that's made up of people locally and then also from people outside the community. So over the coming months, Flight, flight Path is taking shape. We're looking for space, we're closing the fund, and we hope to actually take our first intake of companies later this year. And based on the success of Flight Path, our vision is to create a series of accelerators and startup accelerators around these different areas of creative innovation, like design or the arts. And who else knows where we can apply this model? So tomorrow we're actually launching um, edmontonchampions.com. It won't be the place where you just RSVP for stuff. Um, but what we're wanting to do with this is actually over time this becomes a resource that actually guides and connects creative entrepreneurs in this community to initiatives like Flight Path and some of the other things that are actually going on in this city. Uh, and, and also the other thing is to be able to have creative entrepreneurs connect with each other. So to make this happen, 
we need you. And I mean, this is really why we invited you here tonight. This is about doing this together. This is not just about us and art scene and startup or just individuals that actually want to just do something like this. We think that this is something that's going to help transform the community and really propel us into the next, uh, the next stage. So there are four different areas in terms of how you can get involved. One is, we need you as champions. We need you to help us share this story. Put us in front of people. Tell other people the story. We have, you know, we have different materials that we'll be giving you tonight, but we want you to help us get this vision out there. The second is sponsorship. Essentially giving us the resources to be able to drive forward with this. We work on a volunteer basis, and, but we really want to make something like this happen, and it takes resources and time uh, to actually make something like this happen. The third is invest. And we're actually looking for investors for the seed fund. Uh, right now, the, the opportunity is around Flight Path Seed uh, 1, and um, we could talk to you a little bit more about that. And the fourth one, I think the most important one, is we need you, is the entrepreneurs, the potential entrepreneurs in the city, to start something. You know, if we, if we did this and you weren't coming up with the ideas, then this would, you know, wouldn't even matter. So we need, we kind of put the challenge out to you to actually do something. You know, take that idea that you've been thinking of and we're gonna help you try and figure out how to take that to the next stage. So in transition, what I'd like to do is actually bring up some of the other leaders in the community to help share their thoughts in terms of um, our vision for uh, the Edmonton Champions project. Uh, the first one is uh, Tegan Martin-Drysdale, who is a project manager with Procura and is the new community co-chair of Edmonton's next-gen community. After Ken explained Flight Path a little bit more, he called on leaders of Edmonton to share their thoughts on the EdChamps project. NextGen co-chair Tegan Martin-Drysdale shared her thoughts on the great things already taking place in the city that she has seen by virtue of her position in NextGen. Chris Labossier, co-founder of Yardstick Software, told the crowd about the investment he and his founding partner Don Reap have already made to the Edmonton Champions project. We'll hear from Chris in a moment, but first, I'll share with you the thoughts that Mayor Stephen Mandel had about Edmonton Champions. First of all, as I look out here, I, I can't be more thrilled to see so many people here at this launch. And, and Ken, um, great job in presenting everything. But really, it is about Edmonton, about how we can drive an industry, how we can create and opportunities for Edmontonians. The other day, uh, a group of people, four people, came to my office and talked about making some films and trying to find ways to do that. They want to do them in Edmonton. They want to find ways to allow this to be successful. And I think as, as, as the Edmonton mayor, um, we need to make sure that we create the opportunities for all of our creative people to be able to search out that chance in the city of Edmonton without sending them to other places. I sense um, a change in attitude, like things like tonight, where people are willing to participate and to help and to create that opportunity so our nerds, I'm not a nerd because I can't do anything with computers, but I do understand the importance of that business to the city of Edmonton. We have put forward four businesses that we believe are absolutely vital to the growth of our city. One of them is the IT business and the creating of the opportunities and the atmosphere in the city of Edmonton. So Ken, I want to congratulate all of you for what you've done. Um, Chris and your team for putting up uh, one of the seat sponsors. Um, I think it's just wonderful. And, I, and I'd like to challenge everybody to do that. I will also pledge today to be one of the seat sponsors. Not the city of Edmonds money, but my own money. Because I've been a successful... 
I've had a lot of luck in this city and I've done very, very well and life has been very good to me. Um, being the mayor has been a tremendous honor, but fortunately I've done okay outside of the mayor world so I can live a little better life. But the fact is that those of you who are here who can afford to help, it'd be wonderful if we can find the kind of support for this to make sure it works for so many reasons. One, it'll help rebuild our downtown with a sense of, of, uh, of growth, opportunity, creativity, with a group of people that are, are vibrant, young, creative, dynamic, and that's so important in a city. And so um, I'm absolutely today that what you've done. And um, uh, you know, it's so great to see the next generation of our city caring so much about Edmonton um, and, and seeing that this is a place where they can build their future. In the next little while, we're very confident there's going to be some very interesting announcements and deference. I don't know if it's an arena or not. Is, uh, is there some people here? I thought, where was he? Where is he? Oh, there he is, hiding. Um, but that's just one part of it. There's some other really interesting things going to be announced in the next couple of weeks. I think they're going to be really wonderful for the city of Edmonton. So to all of you, um, thank you so much for your commitment to Edmonton and for what you've done. This is a great city with a great future, and the future's in good hands because of people like yourselves. Thanks very much. Very cool of the mayor to commit some of his own dough to the project. Finally, we end with Yardstick Software co-founder Chris Labossier. I had the chance to speak with him on his thoughts about Edmonton champions, about flight path, and the future of Edmonton. Chris, what has you excited about the Edmonton Champion Project? Um, uh, you know, for me, it, it's the uh, it's the ability to take our community of what I know are bright people, entrepreneurs, uh, designers, artists, and uh, and to give them that little tiny thing that they might need to eventually take their startup or their idea and commercialize it. So, um, you know, it, it's just what, whatever it might take to make that little difference uh, between somebody having an idea and and not being able to develop it because they you know might be three four months rent that uh, that they need to to just get it out to market uh, and then you know so give them a little bit of cash to help that that phase of it and then secondly give them the mentorship that that I know the infrastructure around the the uh, investment fund and the, and the people that will be involved with it that will help these organizations you know maybe help them by giving them advice or helping them by opening doors or those kinds of things uh, that's the principal reason, but uh, you know, beyond that, uh, that's the typical reason that uh, accelerators start in cities. Uh, but beyond that, I really would love to see this thing in downtown Edmonton. I, I uh, you know, to me, it's ten new companies every year getting a start in Edmonton. And why is it important for? Uh, because we've we've heard a lot about how sprawl, in some ways, curbs innovation. Why is it important for Edmonton cha Edmonton champions to be in the downtown core? Well, I, I think like I kind of said earlier, there's kind of a circular effect that happens. The more people that are downtown, the uh, you know, let's be honest, it's all about we want to be in a really cool, livable city. And when you go to those cities that give you that energy, it's because there's lots of people and ideas, there's businesses, uh, there's nightlife, there's, um, you know, everything, amenity that, that, that would make the, uh, you know, that, that visitable part of a city uh, exciting. And so I think there's nothing that has as much energy as young, startup, tech. Uh, and, uh, and so I just think, and a really, really important part of this is that it's not filed away in an office in the suburbs. 
but that it's in a very visible space in downtown Edmonton. And the other thing is the vision they have for Edmonton Champions and the space that they want to acquire is they'll use that space for art scene events, demo camp events, Pecha Kucha, those kinds of things that are all complementary. So it's just about creating that environment there, that ecosystem. And uh, so I, I think that's why it's got to be downtown. It can't be anywhere else. So you and your partner, Don Reap, founded Yardstick Software um, because you were trying to solve one of your own problems, uh, which was about around testing, right, for, for uh, an airplane exam, basically. Is that correct? Yeah, we were both going through that uh, part of our pilot's licensing. When we, were, we were both had other jobs, and we were getting our pilot's license, and we had to write the actual exam, uh, the written exam. And, uh, you know, for both of us, it had been forever since we were out of school, so writing an exam was daunting. This exam, particularly, is very strenuous. And, uh, and so we had to go online, and we, we went online to try to find a place to practice. And there was no product out there for Canadians. So uh, Don's a, you know, he's a, he's a great developer, a software developer, and, and we just said, let's just build an online exam system where student pilots can go and get ready for their exam. And you know, long, long story short, that was the, we picked probably the smallest business vertical or niche in Canada. There might be a thousand pilots licensed here in Canada. So if we figured 10% of the people used our product, we weren't paying, we weren't paying for the beer. So, uh, but then the light came on one night. I'm surprised, I'm disappointed actually that it took so long that we actually had an online exam system, not an online pilot exam system. And when we made that, that distinction, um, then everything changed dramatically. So would, would something like the Edmonton Champions Project have been terribly useful to you and Don when you were starting your company? Uh, well, um, for sure, for sure. It would have been uh, the community and the ecosystem elements of it, the mentoring. Um, we did go through, uh, we were winners of the Venture Prize in uh, 2006. That was a big catalyst, and it wasn't the money. I mean, Venture Prize at that time didn't give us enough money to make a you know real difference in the way our business was going to proceed, but it gave us confidence. Uh, we were getting people to endorse our idea, which, you know, an entrepreneur needs that. It, it, it's surprising. Money is very rarely the barrier, but having the confidence to just keep pushing your chips into the middle of the table. So... Edmonton Champions, without a doubt, if we would have been surrounded by other companies and mentors and uh, people like us that would have said, you know, that's a really shitty idea or that's a great idea and you need to push, keep pushing. So there's, you know, part of it is that. Um, so you and Don have committed to investing some of your money into a seed fund for entrepreneurs. Was that an easy decision for the two of you to make or did you have to mull it over? Yeah, it was easy. Um, there, there's two reasons that, you know, it's uh, forty-five thousand uh, bucks. So we're going to be one of each of us will be one of ten original investors in the fund. Each of the investors in the fund will end up getting one uh, percent equity in each of the thirty companies. So that's uh, no one's going to get rich on that. But our thoughts were, if there's thirty companies, if one company in three years comes out and and is lucky enough to be as big as the Archstick software is, we'll get our money back. If they don't, the other side of that investment was really a social investment where, you know, it's, we think this is part of what our, not our, not our duty, because I, you know, I don't think it's that. It's just, we think this is cool. And we think it's, 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 it's going to be fun to be involved. It's going to be fun to meet all these companies. And, uh, and so, no, it wasn't a hard decision at all. 
Well, thanks for talking to us. Uh, look forward to seeing you on Alberta Ventures' fastest 50 growing companies in Alberta again next year. Thank you very much. Time to check the old email. Dear Jeff and Sally, what the heck's the Edmontonian.com? Adam and Scott. Well, Adam and Scott, the Edmontonian's a local news and information website, but it's collaborative, so anybody in Edmonton can write and create content for us, and it's all things Edmonton news, neighborhoods, sports, arts, events. Sally, can you get off the phone? I'm trying to answer emails. TheEdmontonian.com. On the internet since 2009. Last week, Scott and I attended the third annual Gala Guru at the Art Gallery of Alberta. Now, the gala is a way for one of the show's sponsors, the Guru Digital Arts College, to celebrate their successes over the years, both on the student side and the faculty side. Scott caught up with Owen Brierley, who we refer to as the Dumbledore Headmaster of Guru Digital Arts College, to talk to him about how things have gone for the school over the last year. All right, so uh, I am standing here with Edmonton's own digital media Dumbledore, Owen Brierley. We are at the uh, Gala Guru. Is that yeah. it? Is the I had I had a fight actually over the name uh, with the uh, fiance whether or not it was Gala Guru or Guru Gala. Oh yes. She kept correcting me, but apparently she was the one who was wrong. So. Yeah. Well, you know, we we came out. I everyone fights me on it too. So you know, I, I even though I named it, they're telling me no, 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 no. It's called the the Guru Gala, and I'm, no, come on, it's a Gala Guru, you know. So what is the Gala Guru? Well, we are, every year, we started three years ago, and really it's just a celebration of everything that is digital media related. Um, it's an opportunity for our students and our staff and the people who participate in, in the community with us um, to get together, share some stories, have a few drinks, and, uh, and network. And, and we, we're... One of the big things that I've really tried to do is, is turn Guru into a, um, a digital media hub, if you will, where people can come and go, and, and, and the school atmosphere is very much that laid back, come in, have a coffee, chill out, and visit with us for a while. Um, and along the way, stories get shared, and, and um, we, we only serve to enhance each other by reviewing our, our work and, and, uh, and comparing notes. And, and you know, the, the people who come in and, and hang out from the industry, they learn stuff from the students just as much as the students are, are absorbing every little bit of information they can get from them. So Now, uh, from, from what you've uh, already shown us this evening, Looks like the last year has been a pretty big year for Guru. What, in your mind, are some of the big highlights? I think the biggest highlight for us was, um, surprisingly, last year's Gala Guru, where we, uh, we were at the, uh, the Latitude 53, and it was just serendipity that we happened to be uh, holding our event on the same night as Mac was organizing the, uh, the Twestival. And he said, well, why don't we combine our, our gigs together? 
and uh, and we'll do something cool. And I thought, well, that's fun. And we also had the B. Arthur's coming out to play, and, and so it was a, a really kind of eclectic and, and wacky event that started to get the Twitterati aware of, of what we're doing at the school. And the Twitterati are pretty, you know, digitally savvy people themselves. And so, you know, suddenly the bar was raised a little, the, the eyeballs were on us a little more, and the students were, were sort of suddenly being asked to, to step up and deliver uh, in, in a more visible way. We weren't just this quiet little private vocational school sitting, you know, uh, being under under attended, you know, suddenly we had a bit of a spotlight and that grew and, and it really culminated in some really interesting uh, projects. One of the biggest being uh, this reality television show contacted us. Um, it was the family restaurant with the Quan Dynasty. It's now called the Quan Dynasty and will be airing on all of the, the city TV stations across the country. And they came in and, and almost did an entire episode around uh, a t-shirt design contest and the the wackiness of trying to um, design something that was both old world and new world because you had uh, Kim and, and, and Miles, the father and son, battling it out over whose who's design theory was going to win and then of course Amy, you know, she, she has to come in and, and drive the, the show. So. Uh, anyways, you, you got to see this thing because it's hysterical, and, uh, and so we had a lot of fun doing that with them. And, uh, and now here we are. We're at the AGA. Um, we're looking forward to, to doing more work with the AGA in, in the coming years. We uh, we're already talking about next year's Galaguru and, and what that's going to mean. It's a big one for us. It'll be our tenth anniversary. Now, speaking of this upcoming year, uh, you've already told all the people in attendance tonight some of the things to look forward to. Uh, but I can't presume that all of our listeners are here, all of our, our 50s or 60s of listeners. Um, so in addition to continuing to sponsor the Unknown Studio, which is obviously the highlight of your year, uh, what, what else would you say is the, the big thing you're looking forward to in 2011? Oh, well, in, <laughs> in 2011, we have two major things that are happening. The first, we've been we've just received approval for the digital illustration and sequential art diploma program. It's a six-month program dedicated to graphic novels, comic books, and uh, the sort of corporate equivalent of, of that same discipline. So the students are coming in and, and not only learning the cool aspects of, of the entertainment industry, but they're also learning uh, the corporate side as well. So you know, there's some bread and butter aspect to it. And they get to do this, studying with uh, uh, the legendary Nat Jones. This guy, I could not believe how big this guy's name was. You know, it was sort of like Zappacosta, sort of knocking on my door saying, yeah, I'm gonna move to Edmonton. Uh, can I come teach music for you? Um, and Nat just arrived on the doorstep one day. Well, he emailed me first, you know, he didn't just sort of show up. Um, and we sat down, had a coffee, he and I had so many things in common, and he loved the space, loved the school. Um, we loved him, thought he was awesome, and, and so we've managed to bring him up to Canada. He, he came, he left L.A. for cold Edmonton. It was unbelievable. I mean, and of course, he moves up on the most intense winter we've ever had. Well, you know. he can, if he can last this winter, he can last any winter. Well, there you go. Exactly. That's what we're hoping. 
Uh, and, uh, and so he's settled in and, and, uh, and we're looking forward to our first intake in July. As well, we also have the, uh, the new, we just applied for a digital audio production and entrepreneurship program with Chris Winters of Captain Tractor. Um, this is a guy who's a 20-year veteran of the music industry. He's had to redefine himself. He's worked in theater. He's worked in, in audio. He's done background music for animations. This guy's done it all. And, uh, and he really believed that to do something different with audio programs in the city, we needed to have an entrepreneurial component. So that's what's sort of wacky and weird and different about this particular program is it's not just learning how to do audio. It's also how to do a business with audio. And that's, that's an important thing for us, is we try to make sure that all our programs, while you're pursuing your dream, you're also able to get out there and, and yeah, you, you take a gig here and there that, that pays the bills. That's the reality of the world. So if we can help people find their way to do that quicker, rather than letting them get out there after the, their education and kind of fumble their way into uh, a professional gig and, and make a few mistakes, if they can do that and, and learn those, those skills ahead of time, then they're just that much more valuable in the industry out of the gate. Right on. Well, it sounds like it's going to be an exciting year with uh, Guru, and uh, we look forward to hearing more from the eclectic Dumbledore of digital media. Owen Briarly, thank you for talking to us tonight. Oh, thank you, Scott. That's great. After speaking with Owen, Scott caught up with one of Guru's newest teachers, World-famous artist Nat Jones is in Edmonton. He's designed a course at Guru all around illustration. And Scott got a chance to talk with him about his new class and moving up to Edmonton from the beautiful city of Los Angeles. So uh, it's me again. I just uh, finished speaking with Owen Briarly, And I'm over with, uh, with Nat Jones, who is the uh, instructor for the new, I want to get this right, Digital Illustration and Sequential Art Diploma. That is correct. Right on. So what's this program about? Um, it's basically a program to come in and teach students what it means to be a professional illustrator, to work as a professional in comic books, concept art for film, video games, those kind of things. Right on. So you you are a, uh, a man with, as I understand it, some rather impressive credentials. What have you done in the past? Um, I've done comic books, everything ranging from Spawn to 30 Days of Night. I worked on films like 30, uh, 28 Weeks Later, and I'm currently uh, Hobo with a Shotgun, which is in the news right now. I worked on that movie, and uh, currently working on a film with Ivanka Vukovic and Guillermo del Toro. Exciting. Yeah, it is. It I'd, is. Be, I'd be excited to meet half of those people. <laughs> so what prompted you to move from Los Angeles up to frigid Edmonton? <laughs> Edmonton's a wonderful city. Come on. I agree, absolutely. But that doesn't, you, you don't hear every day the guy leaving California to come up to Edmonton to, to work. Well, really, you have to thank my wonderful wife for that. Uh, she's originally from Edmonton, so she's an Edmontonian. And uh, we met in San Diego, and we were living back and forth between Edmonton and Los Angeles. And we decided we wanted to start a family. And uh, we've now got a three-month-old baby boy, and we decided. Congratulations! That, oh, thank you. We decided Edmonton was a place to raise a family. Um, it's a good place to raise a family. Yeah, definitely. Speaking as someone who was raised, <laughs> sort of in Edmonton, is <laughs> in the suburbs. Right, right. Well, you know, and that was really you're living in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a wonderful city, but it's really not a family city. 
And Edmonton has a lot to offer. It's got a lot of wonderful people. It's got a thriving business community and industry. Um, and it's got that, while still being a large city, it still has some of those small town aspects that really make it the kind of place you want to have a child and you, you know, good education system and all those kind of things. So. Right on. So what do, you, uh, what do you hope to see come out of your program? What I want to see are I want to see some of the highest quality graduates coming out directly into the illustration field and wowing the community. I want to see students that come out and have the skill set and the knowledge that most illustrators don't have 10 years into their career. And I think we can deliver that. Did you help build this program from scratch? Oh, completely. Uh, when Owen and I first started talking about it, we had no idea what we were going to be doing with the program, other than the idea that we wanted to kind of showcase and build off of some of my past work history and skill set. And I, I've every step of the way, Owen and I have went in, and actually the initial application to the government to approve the program was written by me. So I'm from right at the core designing and building this program. I had a follow-up question to that, but it has literally slipped my mind. Um, it'll come to me. Hold on. The uh, the program was built from scratch. Yes. By you. And uh, is there is there any program like it that you know of anywhere in the world? There are some programs that cover sequential arts um, in some of the uh, schools in the United States. Um, and I'm sure there are some in Europe and things as well, but really as far as anything that's got the pace and the approach that we're taking, I don't know of anything like it out there uh, at all, and I know that we're a first in Edmonton. So. This would be a really great opportunity for someone who wants to get into, uh, into digital sequential art. I think the way I'm approaching this program is I want to build the kind of opportunity I wish that I would have had. And arguably, that's where the best teachers come from. Yes. <laughs> right on. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you. So now that you guys are uh, more familiar with city planning, are you better at playing SimCity? <laughs> I haven't played since. Um, Sorry. That's really a shame. I think you're wasting your skill. I honestly, you know, there, we should do we should do some kind of contest <laughs> where we get like a couple of t teams together to build I'm the best SimCity. I've actually thought of this. I so have I've I. sort I of thought a, of this. I think this is a and tremendous like, idea. Yeah, I agree. I'm not even joking. I'm like, here you go. You have hundred in-game years to make a city that's not broke, because that's my problem. <laughs> I guess I just embezzle with the cheat codes. <laughs> I have I've never uh, created a. Functional <laughs> city in Sim City runs into the ground but in twenty years. I've uh, I I read a Let's Play on the internet. Let's Plays, for those not familiar, are where you basically watch someone play the game. Who's better than you at the game of Sim City? And it was playing Sim City two thousand. No, yep, nope, Sim City two thousand. And he made a functional city that was big and awesome and profitable. And I could not have replicated it if I was literally doing everything he did along the way. It was amazing. I did not know it was even possible, and this guy made it look easy. So it can be done. I can pretty constantly, uh, consistently get up to about 200,000 people before <laughs> yeah. things start like falling apart. So, wow. I mean, 
I could. I think I could. My run problem is. Red my deer. problem is. I'm like, oh, let's build wind turbines. We're gonna do this right. <laughs> let's have a good transit system. And then nothing. I'm broke, and it's like I'm making no money. And it's like I guess I'll set the game to play itself for a day, so I have some more money to build something. <laughs> and then you find you're deeper in the hole. Yeah. And, yeah, and then you know Godzilla's come. <laughs> Actually, I I bought a game that I'm playing that is even nerdier than SimCity. Oh no. And it's it's called Cities in Motion, and it's all you do is you you um you run a company that. Builds public transit. What for in in like and in in real 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 world cities like Amsterdam and, and Berlin and stuff. I'm so bad. <laughs> really? <laughs> like like the transportation. You've single handedly destroyed the Dutch economy. Uh, yeah, like stuff. I mean, I can I can I can get <laughs> light rail transit. <laughs> I can get three bus routes and like a tram line in Berlin, and then I'm like, oh. I'm I'm sinking. I'm just we'd done. be good train barons though. We're really good at railroads. Oh yeah, we play. <laughs> we'd be really good at that. You play, what do you play? Why are you laughing, Lowell? Well, we played it against each other all the time competitively. We just play the nerdiest And you games. can be the worst. You can, like, cut each other off and, like, build track to screw each other over. <laughs> so we're the worst when we play it. It's the most inefficient nightmare that we use to screw each other over. Uh, uh, what I like doing is when he, he'll he build, like, a, um, uh, you know, to a grain farm to his his city that needs grain. So then I'll just uh, buy the grain farm. You're so I'm getting money <laughs> on it. You're the worst. <laughs> You guys are such dicks. Yeah. I think the SimCity idea holds merit. Though. Oh, we have to have a competition. We, we would have to all work together for like a month to build a... Yeah, you need to have a common starting yeah, point. Yeah, uh, like I, I have thought of building a replica of Edmonton. In no, I don't think you could. I don't think the well, as close as you could. Sure. I, I mean, it's too glorious to be replicated in SimCity. Sure. Well, or do you I think, think the word they were looking for is broken? <laughs> you can't make the bridges quite right. What's can't the make... point? Also, <laughs> also unlike uh, the situation we have in Ed Edmonton, at some point you can't build anywhere past the map. <laughs> there, there is like that constraint there. That's you know? true. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, and then you've got like Ogden on this side. So you got to like, build a road to the next town. Yeah. St. Albert, Sherwood Park. But you could do Sherwood Park. You could probably do Sherwood Park. Uh, take your residential zone tool and just span the whole map with it. <laughs> the end. Like a couple of light Done. commercial. Make a couple avenues. Yeah. The end. And put uh, several giant refineries yes. in one corner. Correct. And, and name all of the the neighborhoods kind of similar, but not exactly. Yeah. So you're in the bird neighborhood. You're in the tree neighborhood. <laughs> you're in the meth neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I used to be a delivery driver and we would deliver groceries. I've worked for a company that sold groceries on the internet, of all things. What? It was the future. Yeah. It was the future. And then they closed down. <laughs> and now it's in the past. You know what's and crazy that, is they do this in England. You can buy your groceries from Tesco's online and they'll deliver it to you. Yeah. And it's viable. Yeah. And, and this and, misanthrope would bring you your food. Are you kidding it's me? It's actually, people still do it, like even locally. Really? For like, well, yeah. I, I can't name a company off the top of my head, but I'm positive that there's like companies that will deliver groceries to old people or people who are in a company that likes to deliver groceries contact us at this <laughs> yeah, the Shred. <laughs> the McKernan supermarket used to run it ran out the back there and I worked for them for a summer and the weird thing is it was like you pay the normal supermarket price for the groceries no yeah. wonder and it then, failed and then it was like a five dollar delivery and I was delivering out to Sherwood Park yeah. this, like, this guy knows the city way too well now because we'll be like driving along and he'll be like okay we're going through this alley at light speed now and you're like okay well, why is this like, and it turns out you're it's a short I could cut through this parkade but only until four o'clock yeah after that it's not free okay sure also I'm really good at getting big vans into small spaces that's actually a, a fantastic talent to have yeah Comes, if you own a big van. I don't. You now have a tiny truck. I have a tiny truck. 
<laughs> if it gets below a quarter tank, it stalls. Oh, like really? Just, yeah. Out of effort. And uh, sometimes you put it in reverse and it doesn't. Could be a Volkswagen Jetta. Then you honk the horn and it dies. <laughs> you didn't hear about There's it? a no. big recall uh, with the 2011 Volkswagen Jetta because there's some sort of problem with uh, with a major part so that when you honk the horn, it disconnects That's from the amazing. engine. Yeah, it, it causes a short. That's and, amazing. And the car stops Do you remember, okay, forever. Seriously, if, if, you, if Volkswagen can't make a car that's better designed than if I fucking built it, there's a problem. Because <laughs> I don't know <laughs> shit. What's, like, what does the horn do? Turns the car off? Yeah, <laughs> makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Attention, everybody. I'm turning my car off now. Uh, well, had, yeah, we're parked. <laughs> <laughs> I had this white Plymouth Acclaim. And when I would turn right and accelerate real hard, it would stall, and the electrics would quit, and the whole engine would, it would stall. But but it would spontaneously restart like half a second later. So it, it was the weirdest thing. It was just like the power had to reroute or See, something. This is why Edmonton needs to be a more walkable yes, city. Agreed. So that when Volkswagen shits the bed, it doesn't actually impact anybody. Yes. Uh, I I'm I'm one of those uh, those guys who no you're gets wrong. to walk to work. And I mean, I used to commute to work. I walk to work now. Oh my god! It was so I mean, oh, you, yeah. you just don't know what you're missing. It's great. Do you think that the city could use more pedestrian malls? Because I've heard people talk about it. There was talk about sending the LRT down White Avenue, and turning White Avenue, basically like the the stretch of White Avenue that's chic, shall we say, into a pedestrian mall. Like just say cars can't go oh, down. Oh, well, uh, uh, Stephen Ave. Oh yeah, kind of yeah. like that in Calgary. Um, and I'm like. It didn't. I didn't really hear much about it. I didn't hear much conversation about it. It seemed to me like an interesting idea. I don't know how how workable it would have been. But do I you think that that's kind of a direction the city might want to go with some of its high pedestrian areas? I feel it's in the long term plan. Almost. I feel it's an idea. I've heard people yeah. talk about because that. if you look at the LRT system long term plan, they they show with a swoopy arrow to indicate it's nowhere near an actual route <laughs> that they kind of want to run out to Shore Park. I think via that way. I think it's down, not a bad down idea. White Avenue. I think so. Um, I guess when I, on the particular case of White Ave, that that seems like it would be because the problem with Edmonton has it's also we our greatest draw I think in many ways is the River Valley, but it also causes a lot of problems. Like White Ave is one of the only ways over the ravine there. But if it's something you could work, I th I think it'd be. Fantastic. I think they should maybe just run it on 83rd or something. Yeah. Run the LRT down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, these streets, these side streets are largely just used for people to park for free. That's what I do. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that probably is a better idea. And then you don't, well, you see how up in arms people are about the Stony Plain Road route. Because they want to reduce it down to one lane each way for the LRT. And people are losing their minds and want them to bury it and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think, like, pedestrian malls are one of those things that you can't just... You can't just put it anywhere and, and get it to grow. It needs to have, like you said, White Ave already has pedestrian traffic. Something like that there would be great. Uh, 104th Ave comes to mind. Yeah. 104th Street. Street, Ave, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. Comes to well, and they, oh. they do frequently close 104th Street yeah. For, during yeah, the summertime. Make, make that permanent. And uh, and I think like if, when you've already got that base level, it can be really good, but it's not something you can just throw down. And no, at White, it. I think it would work great. I think, In fact, you know why White sucks? Because of cars and motorcycles. Yeah, that's totally, why White sucks. Totally. Especially motorcycles. Those are the reasons White sucks. And, and because of jegging? <laughs> Correct. That's not really an urban planning issue, though. I think we can make a bylaw. <laughs> I think I think you could turn jeggings into uh, an urban planning issue. <laughs> uh, I, I, on that note, actually, one of the, my favorite... Uh, my favorite memories of White was... Uh, <laughs> Is it jagging related? Jagging related. No, it's uh, we were at the Black Dog uh, 
when the Oilers, <laughs> bringing it back to the Oilers, were on the, their playoff run. And it was the first day they closed down white before, you know, the riots got bad. And yeah. it was just like everybody's high-fiving one another and they closed down the, the, the roads so you're just crossing wherever you want. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, and they do this during this, they do this during the art walk. If uh, no. they, they do close off a section between 105 and 104 mm-hmm. Street. Yeah. No, uh, they also do it for I don't know. There's a thing where there's music. I forget what it's I think it might be for SOS, sounds of, SOS, sounds SOS of, Fest? Uh, or? Yeah, Sounds of Ulster. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure, yeah. Uh, also, and the Fringe I mean, also closes a large portion yeah, of that area. Yeah, it closes white. And, yeah. and, and they basically close down white for like the annual, we're going to rip up one side of the road. And <laughs> 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 also true. Yes. But that's less pedestrian friendly than actually the, the cars. What did that have to do with jeggings? Uh, did, nothing? I didn't. It's okay. I don't even know where the Jenkins came from. Like, don't I, I don't know. How I think it was just Motto's axe to grind. <laughs> it just made me angry. <laughs> now, um, I, I know that uh, uh, last week um, you guys took a bit of a shot at a city councillor, um, Carrie Diot. Uh, Which shot? Well, yeah. You, <laughs> also, I think we should took a shot at a couple city. Oh councils. yeah, and a journal writer, and also whatever. It's all tell, good fun. Tell me how you think uh, how you think Carrie Diot and some of the other city councillors are doing. Uh, in terms of urban planning, maybe, but or or just in terms of governance, do you think we have a good city council, generally speaking? Yeah, I'd say overall, I feel that we do. I'm gonna step out of that uh, just yeah. because of work. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, no, in general, I feel they, you know, work together. I think they're doing a good job. And, then there's, and there's a diversity of voices. You've got progressive LRT lover Don Iveson, and then you have crotchety old man Tony Canarita <laughs> kind of balancing each other. Who's softened a little bit since uh, since he had a heart attack, I think. Maybe. I think Tony I uh, Tony got to have a bit of a uh, renaissance, as sure. they say. No, I mean, I think they're doing a pretty good job overall, and I think they've set as goals these long-term plans, you know, the way we grow, etc. And, uh, you know, I think they work together fairly decently. Yeah. I mean, on the Diot topic, I guess I was just, you know, he, I, he's, I guess, a bit of a populist and just sort of likes to harp on the snow clearing. And I mean, okay, way <laughs> That's back, being kind. Well, no, but way back when we were getting into, we, we, we got into urban planning and this, doing the charrette for two reasons. One was planning academy, and the second was, for laughs, we would go to <laughs> uh, public forums during the election, right? And so, I mean... You, you hear people talk about snow clearing, and it's like, shut up, no one cares. This is a minor operational issue. This is not something that's a platform point. It's certainly not something that needs to be dealt with by a city councillor. No, at all. It's it's totally beneath them. It's like, you got a department for it, they'll do it, it'll be great. And I, that's <laughs> or not. my point. Or not. And, you know, and, and, you know, Deal will talk about it, and I'm like, oh, shut up, I don't want to hear it. And then, of course, the world breaks, and it <laughs> snows an absurd amount, and we're all screwed, and I can't drive anywhere. You know, and you can't walk anywhere. You can't do anything. It's a nightmare. And so, of course, now his kind of populist, I'm going to talk about potholes and snow clearing thing actually is very relevant. Yeah, you kind of crow a little bit there, didn't you? A little bit, a little bit, because it was... It's it's been horrible this year though. If there's a year you're gonna whine about snow clearing, I guess this is the one. And it soon road construction as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the thing that bothers me is that something that that Diot said last year was that if we cleared all the snow, we wouldn't have these potholes. I call bullshit on. I don't that. think that's true at all. Because it, potholes are about freeze thaw. Correct. We had some obscenely warm days in February, March, we and have we had them some every day. fucking cold days. Right now, every day is a little above zero, a little below zero at night, a little above. And it's just and that the roads. does the thing that yeah. destroys the road. It's not about the amount of snow. I don't although, think it is. I don't think it is. Yeah, you need a minimal amount of snow. I think this is why 
heated roads <laughs> is what Edmonton needs to do. Can I just go off on a rant for a moment? I don't understand why someone hasn't created a substance that we can build roads out of that is impervious to weather like that. I think there is a powerful lobby of people who, who are keeping this technology away from, from citizens so that they can continue to do road construction every summer. So you want to live in like the steel road city? No, not, I don't, not I don't, steel. I don't think the traction on like, it's hard to break. <laughs> yeah, on yeah, I know oh, that. But I'm, I'm not that. suggesting it's like a metal or even concrete because concrete is obscenely expensive. But like, asphalt's not doing it, man. And, uh, and like flubber? What do you <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Why don't we the build roads roads? Come on, the man. The roads we build out of rubber and our tires will be asphalt. <laughs> there's a fucking, there's a space station in orbit and our roads are falling but apart no because of- they also, don't have freeze to be fair, that, to be that. fair, that space station falls apart. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the virtue of the Russian cosmonauts. On that note, yes, I think it is time for Adam's most favorite part of the show. Oh yes, and I, of course, am referring to the Fast Sixteen. Now, uh, we've had Lil Wall on the show before. It's Actually, true. Lil Wall was our third, no, fourth guest. Yeah, he was talking about Ultima Online and burning cats. Yeah. Well, not burning them. Making them do my bidding. And then them being burned. And I talked about video games in this one, too. I think I have a problem. Yeah, no, I don't of. think it's a problem. <laughs> I think it's just your thing. So, so I suppose we could just do a Fast 15 with Motto. But then that kind of leaves Scott Lowell in the lurch. Plus, uh, I've already prepared a fast 16. Oh, oh there I got 16 go. in me. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> People want to know more about you, I'm sure. And, and I happen to know that Motto is probably one of our most avid listeners. You, you, you enjoy the show. I'm not going to lie. I've listened to all of them. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. Including this one. It's a good podcast. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Lil, uh, Motto has listened to this episode already. Yeah. He's my really ears good. right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go, guys. The Fast 16 with Motto and Lil Wall. Number one, Motto, your favorite food. Uh, I like a good, uh, just like a pasta or something. Lil Wall, your favorite color. I'm a big fan of like a grayish blue. That was very specific. I like my colors, and I like my grayish blue. Okay. <laughs> Motto, Mac, PC, or Linux? Uh, Mac. Uh, Lil Wall, dogs or cats? Cats. Really? Yeah. The way you beat the shit out of my cat. At well, I mean, home. I don't like either, but I'm but, just saying well, if I had to choose one. <laughs> Where you pick cats? You I live with cats. the world's greatest dog. Well, I thought we were talking on average. Like, uh, okay, fine. Well, can I pick Vinny then? I pick Vinny. Vinny's the best. <laughs> Vinny the husky is the is best. Because your cat's kind of an ass. Yeah, she's kind of a bitch. Yeah, I don't really. <laughs> it's the 3 a.m. wake ups that I'm not fond of. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, well, on average, cats, specifically Vinny. Okay. Uh, motto uh, coffee or tea? The tea. Earl Grey, hot. <laughs> <laughs> you used to refer to it as man tea because <laughs> Captain Picard <laughs> drinks it. Well, he's a master of interstellar diplomacy. <laughs> What's more manly than that? <laughs> this, this just turned into the most awesome Fast 16 ever. Absolutely. Lil Wall, your favorite holiday? Um... I don't know if Halloween actually counts as a holiday. <laughs> yeah, Any sure. day there's a great uh, a Rough Riders game. Any days? Yes. <laughs> I take them off. Holiday. So, <laughs> okay. Motto, your favorite sport? Oh, man. Uh, is cycling a sport? Yeah, sure. totally. Uh, Lil Wall, your favorite pastime? Uh, I like taking photos quite a bit. Motto, your favorite music right now? Uh, 
Oh, we'll say the real Alberta advantage because they're going to be in town soon. <laughs> yes. In fact, when you hear this, they will have already left. Oh, anachronisms. Uh, it's like time travel in a podcast. Yeah. Lil, yeah. your favorite movie? Or right a now, favorite movie? I'm yeah. going to say Memento. Oh, big Ooh, fan. Good call. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank I'm glad you approved. Are you? No? Okay. Motto, your favorite <laughs> video game? Um. Oh, I'm going to have to say Mass Effect 2. Lil Wall, Star Trek, or Star Wars? Um, probably, I'm not a huge fan of either, but if I'm going to pick one, I'm going to have to go with Star Wars. I'm going to have to go with Farscape. <laughs> <laughs> what about Firefly? Yeah, that's right. No. Oh, Firefly's on Netflix now. Yes, it is. Oh, it's great. All right, now we're on to our wild card questions, starting with Mike Otto, your favorite part of Edmonton. I don't want to say the River Valley because everyone does. Uh, you know you want to. No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess I have to. It's just great. <laughs> it is great. It's the best because I like going biking through it and it's like, who? where's this trail go? And you find a completely new adventure. <laughs> a lighted hobo. Yes. <laughs> or, <laughs> or a passage into Narnia. It's <laughs> or great. last year, a bear. No, there were a couple bear. Not there were a couple true. bear sightings. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm sure we're just like really scary, like hairy guys. <laughs> it was actually hairy just, lighted. It was host. actually just Lil Wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love berries. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, because I know you're fond of them, Lil Wall. I thought I'd ask, but specifically, your favorite video documentary. Video documentary. Because I know you you like radio docs, so I thought I'd uh, I thought I'd throw you a curveball. I, That's a really hard one. I apparently did. It <laughs> works. You stumped, broke stumped my brain. <laughs> I just I've seen a lot lately, so I'm trying to. I, I that, feel the glory of Netflix once again. Yeah. Oh, Netflix is the worst for that. Yeah, yeah. We've watched a ton of dogs. Why? Yes, I will learn about bottled water. Uh, <laughs> I really like. Uh, this is kind of a cliche answer, but uh, this film is not yet rated. I love movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's all about the, the craziness of the movie rating system. Seen that one. It, it is quite a good movie. I'll have to watch that one. Also, and infuriating in some ways. Yes. And some mm -hmm. hilarious montages. Yes. There was... Yeah. I'm not even going to get into it. All right. Next wild card. Last wild card for Motto. What kind of disaster movie is most befitting Edmonton? Just, just to note, we don't oh, have any volcanoes here. I know. Here. Day after tomorrow. <laughs> just a winter nightmare. I think we just experienced yeah, that one. We just had it. I was thinking along the same lines with ice spiders. <laughs> which I swear to God exists. It exists. It's a movie about giant spiders that live in the tundra. I, re I really no. do feel like that should be on Netflix if it isn't. If, it probably is. If Human Centipede is on Netflix, oh. then I spy, which I've seen. Oh, oh why? No. Because it's called The Human Centipede. Oh, speaking of new movies and disasters. Don't see it. I, I regret it. Uh, volcano, don't. <laughs> no? Just don't. Did you go back to watch it on Netflix or something? Yeah, and uh, so it, regrettable. Did you forget how terrible it was? Yeah, and I forgot that there was this daughter character for no damn reason. Because <laughs> the whole purpose of this character is at the end of the movie, she's in this hospital that the lava's going to come towards, as though the thousand other people in the hospital don't matter. No, that that's true. Okay. I think they that, don't. That movie erased all the good things that Tommy Lee Jones ever did. It kind of did. It I don't know, but then we watched The Fugitive last week. Yeah. And that just made me remember how fucking awesome Tommy Lee Jones is. Yeah, but Volcano came after. So I don't care. It out. I don't care. No, you, I you don't think bank, you've seen Volcano you lately. Bank points. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, you can, you can, I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> last wild card question for Lil Wall. Tell me 
Give me a word that you hope will describe Edmonton in 10 years. And you can't say penis. If it's a, if it's a buzzword, you're fired. Star architecture. <laughs> World class. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Damn it. If I hear that again, I'm going to lose it. This sidewalk will be world-class. <laughs> this is going to be a world-class interchange. People in Paris are going to lose it over this traffic signal. Sacre bleu. <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to say... History. I, I hope that we embrace our history more. <laughs> Historic? Remember Edmonton? Yeah, it's history. <laughs> I don't think I like that. Because, because, of, of, because the of the winter apocalypse <laughs> and the ice spiders. Uh, Guys, this was fantastic. It was indeed. It's been a pleasure. Thank Enjoy. you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, if anyone is interested, you should check out Scott and Mike's blog, thecharette.ca. That's C-H-A-R-R-E-T-T-E dot C-A. You spell better than I do. Well, you were a terrible speller. Yes. I, I actually spell it wrong. You've been listening to the Unknown Studio, episode 46. Our guests, Scott Lilwall and Mike Otto. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. The Unknown Studio is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Media. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Mmm, pizza is good. Mm-hmm. Yep, beer's good too. With it, bacon. <laughs> what? What's your problem? Bacon flavored air. Something what? he said. Pig and fruit. Oh yeah, you you referred to it as ham and pineapple or something like that, and I was like, no, that's pig and fruit. <laughs> it is pig and fruit. That's Delicious what, pig and fruit. That's what that is. You have to call it pig and fruit. You can't call it something else. Well, you can, but you're an asshole if you do. What is this thing we're referring to as what? Pig ham, and fruit. Ham and pineapple pizza. Oh, that makes sense. Sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll there was a place that had. The Islander, which was a modified Hawaiian pizza, had the hymen pineapple, but it also had baby shrimp and feta cheese on it. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're thinking of heaven. (laughs) It was pretty delicious. I believe Jesus crafted that pizza himself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Jesus was a pizza crafter. (laughs) Moses carried it down from two pies from Mount Sinai. (laughs) Two pies? Two pies. Mm. But then they broke one. And then he was like, seriously, guys, if you want some of this pizza, no more idolatry. (laughs) Uh, 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 uh. If you want some pizza, no more murdering your neighbor. <laughs> and then they all started idolizing the pizza. You may covet this pizza, just, but not well, your it was God's pizza. Wives. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It was a pizza in the image of God. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>